Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is for the growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. Our hosts are arthritis patients Rebecca and Julie, and they're asking the questions you want answers to. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. It's been over a year that we've been dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic, and we've heard a lot from experts about COVID-19 over the past year with different types of information changing constantly as the days passed. And our arthritis community has felt so much and continues to feel so much anxiety and stress about the unknown of what coronavirus could mean for us as patients. We've talked with various experts for the past year or so about what we've learned about COVID-19 from an academic perspective. We really haven't had a chance to talk with real people living with arthritis about their actual experience living with COVID-19. Yep, that's true. And unfortunately, (laughs) COVID-19 has hit close to home. I actually contracted COVID-19 earlier this year, and I'm still dealing with some of the lingering issues. So today, I'm actually going to share more of what my experience was like with COVID-19 and what my road to recovery looks like. And we'll also be joined by another patient with arthritis who will share her experience of having COVID-19 early on in the pandemic. Yes, joining us today in this conversation is Dr. Kayla Amadeo. Dr. Amadeo is the current Director of Health Policy of the American Academy of Ophthalmology in Washington, D.C. She earned her PhD from the University of Alabama with a focus in public health, specifically in health policy and exercise science. She has 15 years of experience in the healthcare field, spanning academia, clinical settings, the health insurance market, research, and health policy. In her free time, she enjoys powerlifting competitively, hiking, camping, and cycling. And she happens to live with arthritis. Kayla, welcome to the show today. We're so glad to have you here. Yeah, really excited to be on. You know, I, Julie, I've known you for a really long time. So (laughs) it was a no brainer when you asked me to come on and, and talk about my experience. So, Rebecca, nice to meet you and excited to have this discussion. Thanks for joining us. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your COVID-19 experience. Before we get started, Kayla, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? For the past several years, I've been working in DC in health policy, which has always been a dream of mine. I've studied public health from my bachelor's degree all the way to my PhD. I've interned at WHO. My whole my whole being has been around health policy. <laughs> uh, but I did start out really as far as a health policy career at the Arthritis Foundation. Uh, that's where I met Julie. Mm-hmm. I started out as an intern. I brought her on as an intern. So, right. you know, it was a really fantastic way to get into health policy and made really great connections. I've struggled a long time with a lot of fatigue and, and pain and I didn't really know what it was. A 
for uh, most of my adult life. I just put up with it, took ibuprofen, you know, did all the the normal Epsom salt baths, tried some yoga (laughs) (laughs) Um, without a lot of resolution and had quite a few orthopedic surgeries. I've always been really active. I've been a competitive athlete. I've always pushed myself to the absolute limit because it's all or nothing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm zero or I'm all in. So, you know, a lot of my pain issues were usually written off as sports injuries for a really long time. And quite frankly, they, they probably were truly sports injuries, but that has led to the development of osteoarthritis. So I... Took a long time to get there as well. I ended up having hip surgery in like 2017 when I came to DC, still trying to figure out why I was having so much hip and lower back pain. So finally, after several specialists, a few surgeries, I finally see a spine specialist and he says, Hey, you know, your lower back looks like someone who's 75. Oh wow. Um <laughs> it was like it's it's not really normal. Let's talk about what's going on. And then I was working for American College of Rheumatology at the time, so I had access to really fantastic resources in rheumatology. I have a really great rheumatologist in DC who really started to tackle the inflammation problem that was causing the pain, getting to the root cause. And you know, there's nothing that you can really do about osteoarthritis except for keep me moving and and make me more comfortable. So. It's been a it's been a weird journey to get there to figure out what was actually going on and then even more complex to get it under control. Lots of rounds of anti-inflammatory medications that gave me GI problems and other mm-hmm. fun side effects. But finally, I'm in a place where I'm I'm doing well consistently. I'm still able to cycle and lift weights and live my life and do all the the fun things I like to do without being impeded by inflammation and pain all the time. Especially when Having an active lifestyle would help you manage your pain and staying, you know, staying up and moving and well. I would imagine that COVID-19 really took a toll on some of the things that you do to manage your arthritis pain. So I'd love to hear from both of you, really. And Kayla, I'll come to you first. But can you tell us a little bit about when you came down with COVID-19 and when do you realize that you were COVID positive and especially defining when in the pandemic that that happened? Sure. So I was an early adopter. (laughs) Early adopter. (laughs) So I, um, I had visited New York and that was right at the beginning. And we, you know, we didn't really, we weren't taking the, all of the precautions yet. Right. We hadn't gone to work from home. We weren't on lockdown, things like that. And I generally, we kind of didn't really know what was going on. So sure enough, about two weeks after that is when I had the first symptoms that I didn't know were COVID related. So I had like really bad GI issues, felt lousy for a weekend, but hey, I was like, it's just a bug, it'll pass. Mm-hmm. And then um, felt better for a few days, went back to work, and then was just completely hit with 104 degree fever for three days. You know, I'll, I have a full symptom timeline. Uh, but the respiratory issues that came with all that. So, but what was most frustrating is because I was early on, uh, had had COVID-19 as testing wasn't widely available. It was very hard to get. Some providers couldn't even write a script for the test. So I was obviously not wanting to travel out. I went through three different telehealth providers and I was turned down all three times to be able Mm -hmm. to get a test because I didn't meet 
either a super high risk category or the provider actually was prohibited from writing a script for the test. Right. And when I finally did get tested, I had to go to an urgent care and basically pleaded because my husband was working in a hospital at the at the time, he doing a renovation in an ER. Mm. And I had to really advocate for myself and say, hey, my husband is around patients, sick patients every day. If I have COVID, we need to know or people are going to die. So it really took me lobbying for myself <laughs> to even get tested. What's remarkable about Akela is that even with a PhD in public health, it was still hard for you to get that test. Fast forward, Rebecca, how was your experience different from Kayla's? Well, you know, we knew a lot more about COVID in February of this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to when we started seeing it come out last year in February. So one of the things that was interesting for me was I felt fine. I had some sinus issues, but I had sinus issues draining and it was because I actually had a massage and that happens to me all the time. So I never Mm -hmm. thought twice about it. But my son all weekend was saying, my tummy doesn't feel great. A few hours later, he woke up in the middle of the night and he had thrown up and woke us up to tell us and couldn't sleep and my head hurts, mom. And so I laid with him. And then the next morning I was like, that's what moms do, right? He was so frightened by getting tested. So I said, all right, well, I'll get tested so you can watch me first. That morning, I felt fine. I was working. And then in the afternoon at dinner time, I was sitting there eating and I realized, do you get, is this salty? I kept asking, does does this soup taste good? Because I made something from scratch. I couldn't taste it at all. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. I can't smell. What? what is this? Like, this is crazy. And right away in our house, we were wearing our masks and staying away from each other. So it was, you know, a little bit of a whirlwind with testing. So even though there was widely available, having to get my son tested twice before getting a real result in my Mm -hmm. husband, his Mm -hmm. first one was negative. And a couple days later, he tested again, that test got lost. So he actually had a test three times before we got a positive. So there were still kinks a year later, right? So it might've been more accessible, but not easy to know. But by the time he got his, he was having symptoms. So all of us in the house ended up having it. So yeah, it was frustrating because you just really didn't know. And then, you know, like Kayla's saying, well, we need to know what, you know, if my son's positive, I'm not sending, you know, he can go to school. We need to notify people. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. It sounds like both of you had some substantial advocacy that you had to do for yourselves while you were also very sick and navigating, not feeling well, and some of the symptoms of COVID. Kayla, did you experience that same kind of battery of symptoms? Yeah. So for me, I actually never lost taste and smell. Mm. I had severe respiratory issues. So I was prescribed a lot of bronchodilators Mm -hmm. and prednisone. That's every arthritis patient's favorite drug. You're saying that. You know, all of because at that time they were just throwing spaghetti at the wall. All the either um, other experimental stuff wasn't even considered yet. So I did though, when I was getting better, Everything mm-hmm. tasted like onions to me. So <laughs> I, I don't know how that factored in. I'm fortunate. I would say that I'm, I'm healthy and young, uh, although that hasn't excluded some folks. 
that I, you know, it didn't have to go into the ER. I didn't have to be, you know, be on assisted breathing treatments and things like that. And we were able to treat it with albuterol inhalers and prednisone and whatnot. But at the same time, it's really scary to sit in bed feeling like an elephant sitting on your chest and you can't expand it and you can't breathe. So for me, it was really bad respiratory-wise. Yeah. Rebecca, what about for you? You know, I felt fine even the day when I first day that I realized I lost taste and smell. The next day, I actually worked a full day um, and felt okay. Started to feel a little bit run down, but by the third day, I started feeling shortness of breath. I actually have asthma and I have hypertension. So all this past year of the pandemic, it's been my greatest fear that I have multiple chronic conditions aside from being immunosuppressed. If I get COVID, I'll be in the hospital. And so I only worked a couple hours that third day to just kind of set things in place for being out. And I was in my bed for the next four days. Mm -hmm. I did call my primary physician right away. And they actually had me come in, which was a surprise to the health department when they called me. But they wanted to listen to my lungs with my asthma. About a year to the date almost from when I got COVID, I had been in the ER for pleurisy, which is something that's common for people who have rheumatoid arthritis. Oftentimes you have other lung issues. Mm -hmm. And so I had gone to the ER and have had a history of pleurisy along with my asthma. So he said, let's listen to your lungs. And Mm -hmm. it surprised me to know that my O2 levels were only at like 90% and they want you to be 90 or above. Right. And so he, you know, he cautioned me, I know you're used to pain and and you know your body well, but you're in this gray area that you need to be really careful. So don't be a hero. And if your O2 sats drop below 90%, I want you to go to the ER if it stays there for a while. And so I was monitoring nonstop for like four days, almost obsessively. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the biggest thing is shortness of breath. And like Kayla said, I did feel like this heavy weight on my chest and my whole body just felt like I was carrying a ton of weight around. And it's more, more than the fatigue that you feel when you have an autoimmune type of arthritis. It was just... It was that, you know, multiplied, I think. And then the fear of like, okay, what's my O2 right now? The respiratory part was the biggest thing for me too. I didn't ever have a fever. Wow. And I did have some coughing, but I was also doing my inhalers as well. Want to connect with others who understand what you're going through? The Arthritis Foundation's Live Yes online community features forums on specific topics where you can chat with those who know what it's like, including healthcare experts. Or check out our local virtual connect groups for a more personal touch. Sign up at arthritis.org slash live yes. So tell me a little bit about how COVID-19 impacted your arthritis pain itself. How quickly were you able to start moving again in a way that was going to help you manage some of that that pain? Not very quickly. And it was really frustrating because I'm the type of person that will definitely push through Mm -hmm. and don't like to be stopped by illness. For me to be, I, I didn't do structured exercise or workout for over a month. And that's probably the longest time I've ever taken off of physical activity in 15 years. 
Yeah. Um, so that mentally was probably harder than it was on my body physically. Mm-hmm. That was a, a really big struggle, but it took a long time. And the biggest area that I was able to tell my progress for recovery is because I do cycle. Yeah. When I first got back on my bike, which was probably a month and a half after everything had resolved, I guess, if you want to say that, I barely could get out of the parking lot before I was wheezing, out of breath, dizzy. And Mm -hmm. so it took a very long time to build back up Mm -hmm. lung capacity and endurance for any kind of regular activity. It's such a powerful kind of benchmark to have. You know what it feels like to ride and ride easily and ride well. And so when you get on your bike and all of a sudden you can't get out of the parking lot, you can really feel the weight of how long-lasting COVID was and is. Rebecca, for you, I think you have an interesting perspective because you were right about to have an infusion. Is that right? When you (laughs) became COVID positive? Yeah, it was the end of my cycle for my monthly infusions. And so had to cancel that appointment, which always hurts, right? So I was really worried that, oh, great. I you know, heard from people who have had COVID that, oh, their symptoms got a little worse when they had COVID. I'm like, great, now my disease is not going to be as well-managed as it usually is. And so actually... When I look back and I think about it, I don't feel like my joints flared anymore. Mm. I just felt like the fatigue was too much and the full body aches were too much. And I couldn't get up and walk to the bathroom without being short of breath. And then when I tried to start moving more and I wasn't as afraid to like have my O2 sets fluctuate and going up and down the stairs, I literally could go down the stairs, not even back up. And I'm out of breath. And so the first couple of weeks, I felt like, wow, I'm, I am surprised my joints don't hurt more and I'm not mm. flaring. I ended up having to skip an entire month of an infusion. So two months went by before I, I could have an infusion. But the only thing that saved me is, you know, I had those four or five days where I like I was in bed. Mm. I didn't really do much. But then when I started moving more, I I woke up one day and I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But then I was trying to log on and read emails and stuff and realize like, I can't understand any of the words I'm reading. Like I can't process anything I'm looking at. Why am I doing this? So I I closed my computer. I'm like, I guess I still need to rest. And my energy burst the next day was gone. And then I actually got a little bit worse and went back to my doctor because my shortness of breath was getting worse and I was feeling burning sensations in my lungs. Like I would get winded talking, (laughs) which we all know I can do well, right? So (laughs) I was getting winded just answering the phone and talking to people. So I went back to my doctor and she actually put me on 40 milligrams of prednisone, which you all know is that's probably the highest dose I've ever been on. Mm -hmm. Early in my diagnosis, I was on that for a longer period of time, but 40 milligrams makes me jittery, crazy, and I cannot sleep. So that didn't help. But I was starting to get a little bit of joint pain that week and it fixed that. (laughs) So (laughs) it was helpful for that, but I wasn't sleeping. And so it was just one thing on top of the other. So I I was out of work for a couple of weeks to just give myself some time too to to rest. I think having the steroids really, really helped. Mm -hmm. 
at this point, you have to wait 90 days, Rebecca, before you'll be able mm-hmm. to have the vaccine. Yeah, my rheumatologist strongly recommended I wait until at least 90 days have passed since I tested positive. But also, I'm on one of the two medications that we've learned through all of our interviews with experts that you should definitely pay attention to your timing of the vaccination. So I cannot get the vaccine until like mid-May okay. because I have to wait till when I'm supposed to get my infusion, instead get the vaccine and then right. delay my infusion another week. And Kayla, you just got your first vaccine dose. Is that right? I did last Friday. Congratulations. That's awesome. I'm having my first uh, my first vaccine dose just next week. So I'm super excited about that. And it's it's feels almost like we're closing a chapter on coronavirus when we have the access and have the opportunity to get that vaccine. But we still have work to do to maintain our protections, maintain our social distance, maintain our mask wearing behaviors. Accept the 54 Million Steps Challenge in our 2021 Walk to Cure Arthritis fundraising event. Help cure arthritis nationwide for the 54 million Americans who battle the disease. Start by registering at walktocurearthritis.org and walk your way to help cure arthritis. Kayla, when you first became symptomatic with COVID, it was right at the beginning of everything. And even with a PhD in public health, Talk about what that was like to navigate all of the information storm that was everywhere and the perception or understanding that maybe others in your community had about COVID and how that impacted your care and your experience. Sure. So there were a lot of mixed messages at that time. There were just really a lot of unknowns too. So I didn't really know how to talk about it. And I actually only told a very small group of friends, uh, Julie included in that (laughs) very small group. And it was months and months after I actually had COVID that I ever publicly told anyone that I had it. And the only thing that drove me to that was the misinformation at the time, mainly around hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. (laughs) So um, it kind of drove me to tell my personal story of, my side effects. But then also there was just mistrust in the scientific community. People didn't believe that COVID was real. So that's really what pushed me over the edge. And so anything that would make me appear different uh, is hard yeah. to talk about. It, it really is. And then because there was so such strong reactions, visceral reactions from people, and some of that was politically driven and other philosophical beliefs and whatnot, I just thought it was best to not talk about it. Yeah. It's hard. At the beginning, I felt like when we talked about coronavirus, we were talking about toilet paper and whether or not you could get any. (laughs) But then if someone in your community or in your circle was sick with COVID, it was almost like you lacked the language. You didn't know what to say. I would imagine I did not have COVID, but I would imagine that there, it almost felt like maybe there was some stigma to it. Absolutely. I, I was even worried for a while, like afterwards, we would uh, meet outdoors at this open dog park, right? And our dogs would run around. And I didn't tell any of those people that I had already had it. This is months later. Mm -hmm. It still still feels strange. Now I feel like we're in a place where it's more like, because there is a vaccine and we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that somehow it's easier to talk about it. 
it's almost like you're wearing a scarlet letter when you've had COVID now, right? It's what it feels like. And it's funny though, hearing you say how you didn't really tell a whole lot of people. And and that was really early on. My husband and I didn't really tell a whole lot of people either. For me, it wasn't so much about not wanting to share it. I just was focused on making sure that I didn't have to go to the hospital and that my son didn't get worse and that my husband didn't get too sick. And it became, like I said, I would get short of breath talking. So I actually kind of got a little frustrated into some of my family and friends who listen, they're going to be surprised to hear that I even had COVID. (laughs) And, you know, and some family were like, well, why didn't you tell us? And well, all of us were sick. You couldn't really come over and do anything. Right. I remember saying this to my doctor. All I've been focused on for the last year is educating my community of people with arthritis on what we knew about COVID-19 and how to protect yourself and what to do. And and we did such a good job of, of staying in our little bubble. And so same thing applied. Like, were people going to think, well, she really was just saying all that and not really doing it or, you know, like she's not really taking extra precautions or what is she doing? But we really actually don't know how we got it, you know, but different from you, I think, Kayla, where you're, you want to be this role model. I think part of me was, I'm sick of hearing about me being sick. And I'm tired of being tired and I'm tired of always having some crazy health issue pop up all the time that, oh, it, here's just another thing Rebecca's going through. It sounds like, you know, from both of you, that level of being uncomfortable sharing your story. And first of all, thank you for being open about this experience for our show and for our listeners. It's helpful for us. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone who said, yeah, you know, I've been at home for a year, but... I just don't know anybody who's had COVID. Like it doesn't really feel real to me. I don't I don't know anybody personally, so it can't be that bad. And I think this episode can help correct that a little bit because you might not know anybody in your personal circle, but here are two awesome advocates who are willing to share and be open and vulnerable and kind of let you in to their community and their story and their experience. And so much of it is putting pressure on the both of you, putting pressure on anybody who's going through this to figure out how to navigate that when you're really sick, it's hard. And anybody with arthritis, even without COVID, can empathize with that, certainly. Yeah, you know, we bring up a good point there where for me, and this probably needs an actual therapy session, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but same with my osteoarthritis, I've been hesitant to talk about it because I am still young and healthy and I, mm-hmm. I do all these fun things and I travel and well, I used to <laughs> I travel and I cycle. And so there's almost that part of me that feels bad talking about it mm-hmm. because there are people that suffer so much worse, right? And the, and their quality of life is very different from mine. And so there is a bit of guilt there to talk about it. And I think the same thing with COVID, like my case was not easy, but at the same time, I didn't die. I didn't end up in the hospital mm-hmm. where people were rampant, like losing loved ones. I was okay. And so part of me didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to diminish anybody else's experience. I think that's incredibly valuable. I think it's your experience in not wanting to talk about it and not wanting to share and not being ready for that. I think that's reflected in a lot of 
maybe even our listeners' experiences having had COVID and gotten through it and being in this spot, like that and having the courage to say, even though this wasn't the worst, it is still bad. And it is my experience and I can own that and live in it. That's a special thing. And it's something that all of us tackle at different times. It took me years to get to a point where I could realize that anybody's worst pain on their worst day is relative to their experience. And I think anybody who's in this community can empathize in such a very real way with the experiences that both of you have had with COVID, with arthritis. You know, I don't know if you felt the same, Kayla, but one of our coworkers had had it and she, I called her as soon as I found out and said, you know, I know she struggled in her recovery and it took longer. And and she told me, you know, one of the things that was weird is that I was really emotional and mm-hmm. I cried a lot. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, well, it didn't take me long to get there because as soon as I was isolated in my room and found out I was positive and my husband wasn't like, all I wanted was a hug from my husband. Like, am I going to be okay? You're you're scared and you're just in there all by yourself. Mm. Not sure what's going to happen to you knowing, yeah, I'm kind of in that high risk category of people. I cried a lot. Yes, I did. And then I was watching shows that made me cry more. And so that didn't help. But all I kept thinking about are the people who were in the hospital and the people who didn't make it out and their families and how isolating it was. And I was in my own home, Mm -hmm. you know, but like how lonely that feeling must be for people who have gotten so sick and they've been so severe in the ICU for those who didn't make it. And for those who have been able to fight back and make it, you know, that's kind of what I was thinking about that whole time where I was isolated in my room was just how lonely I felt and how, frustrating it was to have great what is this going to be for me long term what are the Mm -hmm. implications going to be for me after I quote unquote recover with my lungs especially what is it going to do to I love to hike too Kayla and what is it going to do for me to be able to go on hikes and snowshoe and do all of these things and all you're thinking about in your isolation of all of the things that you can't do and will you be able to do again and that's so parallel to what we deal with when we get an arthritis diagnosis. You go through all those stages of grief and I feel like, oh, now I get what my friend was saying from work that she got super emotional because you're thinking about all of these things and just like trying to pull yourself out of it, but it's hard to do. I believe they call that catastrophizing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Start doing that. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there. You get that first diagnosis and you're like, oh my God, it's that snowball effect of like, what is this going to mean? And what are we going to do? And how am I going to, how am I going to get back to work? And am I going to be able to work? And just all of those things. It's, it's very similar. But one thing that I can take away from all of it, and we've talked about it early on in the pandemic with some other patients, Julie, on the pod. Having arthritis, it's almost like you've trained for the marathon, right? Mm. To deal with a pandemic because we were already doing all of the things to keep ourselves safe from being sick because we're so prone to getting infection and getting sick. Having RA and the many surgeries I've gone through prepared me to deal with that and has given me such astute body awareness. Mm-hmm. I think just knowing how to manage my disease in general and all of the things that I have to navigate 
helped me get through it, but also all of the knowledge that we've been so fortunate to learn from other infectious disease doctors and experts in rheumatology, just from who we've gotten to interview. So I felt a little more comfortable in knowing that the majority of people whose disease was managed well, like me, came out okay. And that gave me that little bit of hope to stop catastrophizing. You know, I wanted to kind of highlight one other thing that might be slightly off topic, but to the point of isolation. So I think there are ripple effects from COVID that go beyond being diagnosed and or, and or dying of COVID. And um, I, I lost a parent during the pandemic. And so my mother passed away, but not because of COVID, but she was in a skilled nursing facility and she, um, you know, they were on lockdown for the almost the entirety of the pandemic. No one could go in, no one except staff could go in and out. No one could visit them. You couldn't even send them like basic needs products, right? You know, her favorite shampoo or her favorite body lotion, because at that time it was still like, well, we have to wipe everything down. We don't know if we can contract it from surfaces, all of these things. And so while my mom didn't die from COVID, I truly believe COVID accelerated her death. And I, and that's not isolated to just me. I am sure there are a lot of people that found themselves in that same situation. So I guess one of my takeaways is just the thought that COVID has so many more ripple effects than just the acute symptoms. I think that's really, really poignant, Kayla. And I'm so sorry about your mom. And I just, yeah. I think that the the ripple effect is something we'll continue to observe and feel and and deal with the ramifications of for the next number of years. It's going to be a long time. Something we really haven't dabbled in a whole lot in our conversation today is the mental health side of it outside of Rebecca's comment about isolation and the fear and the catastrophizing. Yeah. I think, but I, I will say it is really hard to tease out the mental fatigue versus physical fatigue versus work burnout versus like I don't know. There's a lot of, maybe I should focus on myself more, but there are a lot of (laughs) so many external factors, right? Like I work all the time. I haven't taken a single PTO day. My mom died and I'm still answering emails and joining calls. Now that everyone is working from home, there's less time for Mm -hmm. any kind of break because it's just the conception. Like before we had to schedule in commute time, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's just back to back to back to back calls, late yes. night calls, early morning boundaries. calls. There's mm-hmm. just yeah. no boundaries anymore. So I would say for me, I don't know. It is very hard for me to tease out the way that I'm feeling mentally during the pandemic versus how my physical health has been. Yeah, I have some residual lung issues. I'll have to get rescanned for a CT just see if some of the damage from COVID on my lungs has resolved or goes away. And then COVID brain is a thing. And, you know, if I thought I had brain fog and we just did an episode on brain fog, I have COVID brain on top of brain fog and I'm having trouble word finding, which is weird. And it's funny, it's almost adjectives, but I have some of my taste back, not all of it. And I certainly don't have my smell back and it's been a few months now. So I'm hoping I get all that. And I know that the shortness of breath is still there. Being able to just walk like I was is a little bit challenging. So I'm having to like start at 
ground zero and do one step at a time again and build back up. So hopefully I can get a hike in maybe midsummer. And right now it's like walking around the block and yeah. making sure I can still breathe. <laughs> small steps. Yep. It was really slow for me and it felt even more painfully slow just because I know I like never take a second to actually rest. Yeah. So it just, it felt even slower than it was. But yeah. I mean, again, I just started lifting again as far as power lifting maybe two months ago. Right. So right. almost a, a whole year that wow. it took me to get back to feeling like my body was ready to do yeah. those kinds of things. Um, other than I, just for like a year, I was like, I'm going to do what feels okay and doesn't hurt. Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's the kind of permission you have to give to yourself, especially when you're trying to separate separate out. I loved, I love what you just said, Kayla, about not being sure if it's pandemic stress, work from home all the time with no boundaries, stress, you know, physical stress, mental stress. It's all stress. What do you want to learn more about in the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast? Take our survey at arthritis.org slash podcast. Scroll down and share your thoughts. We want to help you learn more about what matters to you. So tell me from the both of you, if you were to leave our listeners with three key takeaways after our conversation today, what would those three things be? I think first, you know you know yourself and you know your body. And I think that's what my doctor said to me when I first went in after I was diagnosed with COVID. He said, you know your body well, trust it. So if you're in a place where you feel like you don't know your body well, make that your priority. Mm. Figure it out. You know, you know what your pain limits are. You know when you're pushing yourself too much. You know when you need to ask help. The second would be, Keep doing what you've been doing to stay safe in the pandemic. It's not over. There's still cases out there. You can still contract it. Get your vaccines if you are up for it. But keep yourself safe as always. And then I think the third takeaway for me really is while we were prepared to keep ourselves safe because we've been doing that when we're on an immune suppressing biologic. I almost think I'm going to keep wearing a mask. I'm mm. like, if I travel or I'm in public spaces, because to not have gotten a respiratory infection at least once or twice this past year is almost a miracle. They never want to be back to where I was when I had COVID. So I think that would be all I would say. Thanks, Rebecca. I think those are, those are some great ones. Kayla, why don't you take us home? <laughs> All right. So my top takeaways, number one, there are good humans in the world, despite <laughs> what you may think, how things have played out in the media or just kind of the general rhetoric of, um, you know, of America in the past year. There are good humans and those good humans led us to one of the most mind-blowing scientific innovations that right. ever happened. So my second takeaway that is science is so cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <it> yes. is. <laughs> yay. yay science. Yay science. Get vaccinated if you can. You know, it's, it's such a modern marvel that we were able to get a vaccine for a novel virus in a year. It's just, it's just mind-blowing. And then number three for me is lean on your family and friends. 
even if you you didn't have COVID uh, or even didn't know someone that had COVID or died from COVID, lean on your family and friends and don't count out therapy. The pandemic has been hard on mm-hmm. everyone, mentally and physically, regardless of if you were personally impacted by the pandemic, you know, as far as knowing someone. So I, I just think it's really important that we do put a focus on mental health and all the emotions that people have felt during the pandemic. So lean on your family and friends. I like that. I love it. Yeah. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Rebecca, thanks so much for going to the other side of the podcast discussion today (laughs) and being a guest slash host. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners. And and we hope that uh, you know that you're not alone in whatever journey you're in. That's right. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast was brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The content in this episode was developed independently by the Arthritis Foundation. Go to arthritis.org slash podcast for episodes and show notes. Stay in touch 